Let me just first of all say how much I appreciate our worship team and their flexibility. Yeah, let's, let's do just give them a little bit of encouragement here. Many of you may know Judd got sick this week, and so uh, like everybody else, they had to be flexible and willing to pivot, and what a, what a blessing it is to have a team. that Everybody you saw on stage is a volunteer, if you don't know that, and so to have those folks pull together and be able to, to, to lead us uh, without their primary leader being here. Judd, we miss you, and I look forward to, to seeing him uh, very soon. But um, today, I want to begin with a story that I'm not proud to tell. But there's an important lesson in it. Uh, I was working right out of college. I was working my first job, part-time job, uh, at Wingtip Couriers, delivering everything you can imagine all over the Metroplex. And it was uh, a part-time job while I was going to seminary, and, and my wife, Sean, was working full-time. And so this was just something to kind of supplement. And, you know, the, the, the pay back then, 1992, they had a base rate of $5.50 an hour. But you could earn extra, you know, commissions and things. Sometimes I would earn as much as about six fifty an hour. So you know, those were those were the good weeks when it would go up that much. And so you can imagine my excitement when I got contracted by Wingtip Couriers to, to be a, a delivery person on Fridays for a photography company because when they contracted you out. They paid you $7 an hour flat rate. So, I mean, my Baylor education was really paying off at this point, making the big bucks. So I, I loved that job because it was less stressful and, uh, you know, it, it made just a little bit more money. But that job didn't last very long because I made a really big mistake. So one day, uh, the job was to deliver photographs from this photography company to whoever it needed to go to. And they would typically put these photographs in a big plain white envelope and you would deliver it, have it signed for it, all that. So I'm doing that one day and I'm on my way and I don't remember if I got all the way there before I realized or if it's one of those, you know how sometimes you just, something hits you and you're like, <gasps> did that just happen? Somehow or another I realized I left the photograph on top of the truck when I got in and I drove off with the photograph on top of the truck. So I'm like, ooh, that's not good. So I go back hoping and praying that that photograph is still going to be there. And guess what? It was. There was only one problem. It had these really black tire marks right across the front of the white envelope. So what did I do? I picked up the photograph, and I delivered it to the place it was supposed to go and didn't say a word to anybody. <laughs> Not a good decision, right? Now, in my 22-year-old mind, I'm thinking... Maybe they won't notice. <laughs> maybe nobody will say anything. Actually, more what I was thinking was maybe the photograph inside hasn't been damaged and they just won't tell on me. And so I didn't say anything to anybody. I delivered the photograph. Not long thereafter, I got a call from my employer who called me in for a talk. And let's just say I went home a little early that day. I didn't get fired from wingtip, but I did lose the opportunity to work that sweet $7 an hour gig on Fridays. I never went back to the photography company again. So why didn't I say something to somebody when I figured out what had gone wrong? You know the answer to this, right? It's the same reason we don't speak up. It's the same reason we're not transparent. It's the reason we try to hide things. And my messed up thinking, I thought... I will protect myself by not saying anything. And isn't that how we think sometimes? 
We think if I just keep it a secret, if I don't tell anybody, if nobody finds out, then I'll protect myself. How many of you have figured out that that's exactly the opposite of what really takes place? Guys, I'm going to just be blunt with you this morning and say some of you are trying to hide things right now because you think you're protecting yourself. Maybe there's a secret sin. Maybe, maybe there's an extramarital affair that you're trying to hide from your spouse because you, you think, well, I'll protect myself by not being found out. Maybe there's something you're trying to hide from your boss. Maybe you're not working the real number of hours that you're supposed to be working or there's some information you're not telling that person. Maybe there are things that you're hiding from your friends or your family. And maybe it's not because it's something overtly sinful. It could simply be something that's embarrassing. And how often have we thought if somebody knew this about me, they would think about me differently. See, bottom line is we, we hide things to protect ourselves, right? We think we're doing ourselves a favor when we hide things, but, but we really aren't. Today, as we continue on, uh, in our, our study together, we're talking about being better together. Here's the topic for today is that we need to be transparent together. We saw last week, we were in Acts chapter 2, at the end of uh, that chapter, we saw the church and how they were functioning together and how they were doing life together and they were, they were really developing close relationships and we talked about the importance of establishing biblical community based on what we saw in Acts chapter 2. And by the way, I suspect that, that some probably that are with us today have felt very convicted about taking a step toward biblical community. And I just want to encourage you in that again. And when we get to the end of the service today, there'll be an opportunity, a little more emphasis on how to, to, to get connected there. But that's so important. We need an environment where we can be more transparent with one another. Um, but transparency is not something that just automatically happens just because we surround ourselves with other believers, right? It takes some courage. It takes a, uh, some, some guts to, to, to open up and maybe to tell on ourselves from time to time. Um, but we need an environment where, where we can do that. So Acts chapter 5. I wanna, want you to open your Bible with me to Acts chapter 5. Today we're going to skip ahead a few chapters. And we are going to see an extreme example of lack of transparency and a very extreme example of God's response to it. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. 
Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Wow. That's, that's a pretty strong passage right there. And, and, and keep in mind that so far what we've seen in the book of Acts has all been really, really good stuff. It's all been, you know, God working and the church building. I mean, we, we've seen, you know, chapter 2 where they came together and, and, and had everything in common. And then we see them performing miracles in chapter 3. And then we see them even being arrested and having the boldness to continue to preach. In spite of that, they don't back down uh, in chapter 4. And then later in chapter 4, they gather together after their... Uh, Peter and others are released and they have a prayer gathering and it says the walls of the place where they were meeting was shaken and so they're experiencing the power of God and then the end of chapter 4 says that they started to to meet one another's needs they sold uh, things to to help provide for one another listen verse 36 and 37 into chapter 4 says Joseph a Levite from Cyprus whom the apostles called Barnabas which means son of encouragement sold a field he owned and brought it and put the money at the apostles feet so you get this picture, right, that this guy that we now call Barnabas um, provided the income from some property that he sold and by, says putting it at the apostles' feet. What it's saying is, he's saying, look, here is this, this money to be used at your discretion because you know what the church needs, you know who needs what. And so they you know, put it before them for them to, to distribute as it was most needed. Now, from what we know about Barnabas, um, I, I have no doubt that there was nothing in him that wanted recognition. Now, he wasn't doing this so that others would honor him for what he had done. But word gets out, right? And people found out what Barnabas had done. And apparently what we see in the very next verse, as chapter 5 begins, is a couple who thought, ooh, Maybe we could do the same thing and be recognized like he was, but then they, they, they were deceptive in how they went about it, and there was a really major reaction to that. You know, sometimes when the writers of Scripture explain something, they don't always give us all the details, right? Sometimes we have to read the context a little bit. We have to do a little bit of piecing things together to understand what's going on because it does not say directly in the text why they were struck dead. I mean, it does say that he lied. So I guess that's the why. What it doesn't record is the lie that, that he told. Now, with the wife, later on it does specifically. He says, is this the price you paid? She said, yes, that was the lie. But with Ananias, it doesn't say that. So what we can read into this text when he says that you've lied is that somehow, whether he just said it outright or whether he just led people to believe that this was what he was doing, that somehow Ananias communicated that I'm giving all of the proceeds from the sale of the land and for, for you to use. Now, again, we look into this and we say, okay, what's the problem here? Why, why, would he, why was he struck dead for what he had done? It seems like he did a very good thing. And the problem, we have to, to presume, has to do with motivation, number one. Why would he lie about this? And I think we can make a, a strong assumption, and I know, it's, you know we got to be careful about making assumptions about things, but we can make a pretty strong assumption that his motivation was to be recognized like Barnabas was. So that, that's a problem, first and foremost. That's, that's number one. But then he's, he's not honest about it. And you know, here's, here's the thing. They were not upset. It's really important to understand this. Peter was not angry 
with Ananias and Sapphira because they did not give all the proceeds from the sale of their land. Hey, let's be really clear on that. That's not the issue. If they had come and said to Peter, hey, we sold some land and we want to give a portion of that for you to use as you see fit, they would have celebrated that. That would have been a wonderful thing. It's really important to understand that the problem is not that they didn't give it all. And we know that because Peter says to him, wasn't the money at your disposal? Couldn't you have done what you wanted with it? They weren't asking him to do this. It wasn't like anybody was requiring this of him. Um, The problem was that he was being deceptive with it. And he was trying to present it in such a way uh, that that it wasn't really the case. And so it says that, that he was struck dead and then it says his wife came in after him and they just asked her outright is this the price you got she said it was and so she falls down dead now let's just be honest when we read a passage like this is there a part of you that you read that and you go man that seems awfully harsh right I mean, yes they made a mistake and they were dishonest and maybe their motivation wasn't right but good grief to strike them dead on the spot for that it seems a bit extreme At least in my thinking. And so there has to be something going on here. There has to be some reason why God reacted in such a a, a strong way. And we know the result of that. Verse 11 just kind of makes me chuckle when I read it. It says, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Thank you, Captain Obvious. (laughs) Two people get struck dead. And just fall down and die, I'm pretty sure great fear is going to seize people because they're going to think, am I next, right? Is God just in the habit now of just striking people dead whenever they do something wrong? I mean, what's, what is going on? And, and again, you know, there's, there's not any specific thing that we can point to. And God says, here's your clear answer. But in my mind, the real problem here is their lack of transparency. The real problem is that, that they were trying to pretend to, to, to be a certain way and that their motivation wasn't right. And, and uh, so here's where I land on the first thing. Why is this such a big deal? Because lack of transparency elevates the individual above God. Lack of transparency elevates the individual above God. You see, when we are less than transparent, it's because our desire is for us to look good, right? That's why we do it. We are more concerned about ourselves than we are concerned about God being glorified. And I can tell you this, God doesn't share his glory with anybody. And so anytime we seek in any way to elevate ourselves above God, there's going to be a problem. So why do we do that? Because we mistakenly think that it's going to make us look better. What do you think would have happened in my story that I shared earlier if when I found that photograph with the tire marks across the front of the envelope, what if I had called the company and said, hey, I just need to tell you guys I made a big mistake here. I left your photograph on top of the truck. It got run over. I'm not sure if it's still useful. I'm not sure if I need to bring it back. I don't know what I need to do to make this right, but I just want to call and apologize. Can you direct me here? Do you think that would have gone over a little bit better? (laughs) Absolutely. And isn't it funny how we hide things thinking 
that we're going to make ourselves look better, but the reality is if we just own up to things, if we're more transparent, if we're just more honest about things, that's actually what ends up making us look better. Not that that's our primary motivation, by the way, because my primary motivation should have been you know, I, I want to honor God in everything that I do. I want to, to live in integrity. And so the right thing to do would be to acknowledge and say, this is what I've done wrong and how do I make it right? Um, but then a byproduct of that is the more transparent we are, uh, the more we earn respect of people around us. And so it actually, it's, there's some irony there. What we think will make us look better actually makes us look worse. Now, back to the story of Ananias and Sapphira I, I do believe that the reason God responded so swiftly and so harshly is because uh, of, of the circumstances and the, and the fact that this is the very early stages of the church. Uh, it's really, really important for them to, um, to, to understand that this is not an acceptable type of a, of a thing. Um, but then again, I ask the question, well, why didn't God continue to do that today? Or why didn't that happen more often? I mean, think about this. This is the early church, and so everybody in the church is a new believer, right? I mean, the, the, the Pentecost just happened. The Holy Spirit came, people are coming to faith in Christ, and so they're bringing their background, whatever that may be. And most of them had a Jewish or a religious background, but still, these are imperfect people in their faith. And so there's all kinds of sin issues, just like there are all kinds of sin issues right here in this room today. What if God struck us down every time we did something wrong? We'd all be in trouble, right? So first of all, I think we can be grateful that God doesn't just say, well, you sinned against me, so you're dead, because there's not one of us that would have a heartbeat if that were the case, right? We need to be very careful about you know, pointing fingers at others uh, and forgetting the fact that when you do that, there's three more pointing back at us. So we're all in that same boat, but... Um, I think what was going on here was that God needed to uh, respond to something that could have been very, very harmful to the church, especially in its early developmental phases. So last summer, uh, I, I, I'll tell you my stories from time to time about I, I enjoy trying to um, keep a nice yard and things like that, and sometimes it works better than others, but there was a patch of my grass that died last summer, and so I, I bought some new sod, put it down, spent way too much money on water, getting it all rooted and everything, uh, and this, this brand new grass, you know, I, I got it well rooted, and then came the time when normally uh, you would put down some type of pre-emergent weed killer type thing. Well, guess what? I didn't do that on that section of grass this year because if you read any kind of instruction, they'll tell you that when you plant something and it's in its beginning stages, you don't want to expose it to any type of a harsh chemical because it's not well enough established to be able to handle it. I wonder if that, that, that might have been something along those lines of what was going on here with God saying, look, I cannot allow something that could be this potentially destructive to be left unchecked, especially in the early phases of the development of the church. Because you know, I look at it and I think, what would have happened if uh, this type of behavior got repeated and people started you know, pretending to do things in order to be recognized for themselves and, and that kind of thing? It could have been a real problem. And so I think God is protecting the purity of the church here and um, just, just protecting it from other things that, that could have happened because 
what we see here are two people that were more interested in being recognized and applauded than they were interested in God being glorified. And unfortunately, that's still true today, isn't it? Isn't it true that we can slip into those patterns of being more interested in being recognized and applauded than God being glorified? And sadly, I think the same can be said of churches, that churches can even slip into a pattern of being more interested in being recognized and applauded than God being glorified. And so God deals with it in a, in a really strong way here because the future of the church was at stake. Guys, I believe that, that real transparency is just as needed in the church today as it was back then. It's so valuable. In fact, isn't it refreshing when you have interaction with somebody that's just kind of an open book and you know they're, 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 they're not trying to put on airs, they're not trying to get people to think things about them that are not, you know, they're better than they should be or whatever. They just kind of are who they are. And, and I love that. And so many of the, the, the people within this church body are that way, and I love that. But I have to tell you that in our culture, that is the exception way more than it's the norm. To find people that, that are truly transparent and truly just willing to just kind of put it all out there and not be concerned about what others think or being recognized by others, that's unusual. I know many of us often struggle with um, what others think about us. That can lead us to be less than totally transparent. And so if that is a, a challenge that you face in your life, let me share with you what I think is the most powerful verse in Scripture for those that struggle with kind of wanting to please others and worrying a lot about what others think about them. And it comes from Galatians 1, verse 10. It says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people... I would not be a servant of Christ. Now keep in mind, this is the Apostle Paul who wrote this. Um, remember his background, right? That he was a leader among the Jewish people. He was highly, highly respected among the Jews. He was looked up to and revered. And when he came to faith in Christ, when he saw that light on the, the road to Damascus and he became a follower of Jesus, everything in his life shifted from you know, I've got to be good enough, I've got to follow the law, I've got to do all these things, to now his priority was, I just want to know Jesus. And he realized, we'll never be made righteous by following the law. So everything that he had once taught, everything that he had led by example, that others had looked up to him, now he's saying, that's not what matters to me anymore. And you can imagine that he made a lot of enemies and offended a lot of people at that time. And there were a lot of people that used to praise him and speak very highly of him that now wanted him dead. That hurts. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much you, you know and love Jesus. When there are people who turn against you like that, it hurts. And yet Paul had a decision to make at that point. And that decision was, am I trying to please people? Am I going to be concerned about what others think about me? Or am I going to be concerned about what God has called me to do? And his decision was, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to follow Christ and just kind of let things happen as they happen. And so he came to an understanding that it wasn't about him being good enough. It was all about Christ and what he had done on his behalf. Which, by the way, I want to make sure we're all clear on that, right? 
that we will never be made right with God by doing good. His version of that was following the law. You know, if I do this and this. But don't we follow a similar type of thinking so often when we think, oh, well, if I, you know, just this, this, and this, then maybe God will accept me. Guys, the whole message of the gospel, the whole reason Jesus came is because we're not good enough. Because we fall short. We are incapable of keeping God's law. We can't do it. We're all sinful. We're all separated from God as a result. But Jesus came as the only one who could meet God's righteous requirements. And he did so. And then he gives his righteousness to us if we trust in him. He offers forgiveness for us because he paid the penalty on our behalf. It's an incredible message that, that we, we know to be true. Sometimes we live uh, like we forget it. But, but that's what the gospel message is all about. And so we are accepted by God and loved by God because of Christ, not because of our own worthiness. Now, here's why that matters so much. Back to tying this into what we're talking about. Is it painful sometimes when others may think things? Yeah, it is. But in order for us to truly get to a point where we can be transparent, we need to stop worrying about what others think about us. And the way we do that is to find our security in Christ. And that's the second this kind of main idea I want to leave you with today. In order for us to really get to a point where we are, are transparent and willing to open up, we have to find our security in Christ. If we know who we are in Him, then everything else, it, it'll kind of take care of itself. You know, I look at it kind of like little children. If you've spent time around little kids, especially other people's kids, right? Um, one of the things that you will pick up on rather quickly is that you know, you, you can generally tell those kids that feel secure in the, the love and acceptance that they have in their home, right? The ones that have that, that solid foundation from their parents, and you can generally tell the ones that don't um, because they're just starved for any kind of attention, good, bad, or otherwise. Now, I, I know there are extenuating circumstances, and I know that's probably an overgeneralization, but you know what I'm talking about, right? You can, you can usually tell with kids. In fact, I say this. I can usually tell this by looking in their eyes a lot of times. You know, you can just kind of see it. Those kids that, that know that they're loved, and it frees them up to not have to be the one to try to impress everybody and show everybody how wonderful they are. Same thing is true when it comes to our uh, relationship with God if we're secure in how much we're loved by our Father, it, it, we don't have to jump through all those other hoops, you know? It, it just becomes not such a big deal. So, that frees us to focus on, on just honoring God by being transparent. And if part of honoring God means that I share some things about myself that are less than flattering, then so be it. Because my concern is not what somebody else is going to think of me anyway. It's about being faithful to God and knowing that I'm loved by him. All right, so let's wrap it up and make this as practical as we possibly can. We've been talking about you know, the importance of being transparent together, but, but how does that happen and where, where do we do that? Here's my question that I want to leave you with today. I want you to, to really give some time thinking about how transparent are you in your relationships? That's the question. How transparent are you? In the relationships that you have. And especially, maybe we add even a, another little phrase into that. How transparent are you in your relationships within the body of Christ? 
Do you have those relationships with other believers where you are just open and transparent? Or do you still struggle to feel like, hey, I've got to close off. I've got to hide things because if others find out, then maybe they'll think differently of me. And so I want to encourage you to figure out what are, you know, how can I be more transparent in those relationships? And by the way, it doesn't have to just be within the body of Christ. For those of you that are married, I'll tell you a great place to start is in your marriage. Is how transparent are you with your spouse? Are you, are you truly opening up to one another? Are you truly sharing things with one another? If there are things that you're trying to hide from your spouse, if there's some type of secret sin in your life, can I just give you the best advice that you don't want to hear? But that's to, to, to just bring it out and confess those things rather than waiting to get found out. I'm going to tell you right now, the worst the worst thing is to, to not say anything and to get found out. And eventually, we will get found out, right? But the more honest we are, it may be very painful on the front end, but just to, to open up is, is, is powerful to, to be able to do that and to be willing to do that. But are you being open with those that are closest to you? If you're not married, with your close friends, with your church family, are there other people outside your family in your life where you can be transparent? I just want to remind you today, when we hide things, we think we're doing ourselves a favor, but we're not. Not only are we hurting our witness, not only are we dishonoring God by doing that, but frankly, we're not making ourselves look better in the eyes of other people either. So I just want to encourage you today to take some steps toward real transparency, to put yourself in a place where that can happen where you can open up, where you can not worry about anything other than just being faithful to who God called you to be. Knowing that you're loved by Him frees us to be able to do that. Let's pray together. Lord, I do ask today that you would help us to, to be transparent together. I pray that for this church family. Lord, would you give us more transparency? Would you give us the ability to trust one another more deeply? And, Lord, I just ask that, that we honor you above all else, that that is our highest priority. Lord, thank you that you love us the way you do. Thank you for your acceptance and, and your grace, your forgiveness. And, Lord, we know we don't deserve it, but we're thankful for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.